Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. These guys are a tough act to follow. By the way, I thought I was the good-looking one. And, nah. Okay, um, we are starting today a brand new series that we're calling From This Day Forward, um, and it's primarily about uh, marriage, but it's not just for married people. In fact, um, if you are single and hope someday to be married, this is the kind of stuff you need to know ahead of time, okay? And if you are married and in marriage, and, you, and maybe there's some things that you can take from this, hopefully take from this series that will help you improve and, and, and have an even better marriage. And, and if you're here today and you're single and you say, I have no intention, I am never going to get married, never say never, first off. <laughs> and then secondly, what you'll find is that the things that we're going to be talking about over the next five weeks really have to do, they're pretty much transferable across all kinds of relationships. Not everything, but a good deal of it is. So we're going to be talking about primarily marriage, and I'm going to talk about husbands and wives, but you can make that application in just about any relationship. And, um, and the reason we're doing this is, um, and, and, then, and it only makes sense, by the way, to get God's word on the whole thing, because God is the one who loves supremely. He is the one who instituted the idea of marriage, and he is the one who... Um, provided for that, that need we have for connection. He's the one that is the core of all of this. And so in the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about um, five decisions or five commitments that you can make. Um, no guarantees because we're still frail, faulty human beings, but they will give you a tremendous leg up on deepening your relationship and increasing um, a, a better marriage. And they're going to be um, seek God, fight fair, um, uh, have fun, Stay pure and never give up. And we're going to be talking about those in the next couple of weeks. Today, we're going to start with this one, just simply seeking God. It's putting God first in your life, putting him first in your marriage. And we're starting there because, like I said, he is the one who designed all of this. And in fact, Jesus, when he was asked about this whole idea of love and what's the greatest commandment, this is what Jesus said. He said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And with all your mind, love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying, listen, if you want to know about love, learn about God's love. You want to know about loving your neighbor? You want to know about loving your husband, loving your wife? Start with loving God because he is the supreme example of love. The Apostle Paul wrote a little bit about it to the church in Ephesus. And he wrote these words, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. And, And he's making this comparison between marriage and Christ and the church. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husband. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother And be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. 
This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Paul's saying, if you want to know the meaning and purpose in God's design for marriage, look at Christ and the church. Jesus said, if you want to understand love, start with loving God. Because when you put your faith and trust in him, when you put him first in your life, it changes your whole perspective on love and on all of your relationships. And so tonight we're going to talk about this whole idea of seeking God, putting him first in your life and in your marriage and in your relationships. And when you do that, there's a couple of things happen. The first is when you put him first in your life, you begin to appreciate, you begin to appreciate the power of a promise. Now, this speaks to one of the great myths that I think our culture has about marriage, that we have this idea that marriage is about my happiness, okay? That's why we get married. We're looking for someone to make us happy. I mean, after all, isn't that how all the fairy tales end? And they all lived happily ever after. Have you ever wondered why there is no Cinderella 2? No Snow White, the sequel, okay? Because that whole idea of happily ever after, that's just, that's, that's a lot of bunk. <laughs> now, there is a great deal of happiness and satisfaction available in marriage. But to marry for happiness, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Because the biblical, um, the biblical teaching of love is about something much, much deeper than happiness. It's about something much, much greater. Now, the Bible doesn't deny our passions and our desires and and the idea of happiness. Yes, it's all there. But he said, if that's going to be the foundation of your marriage, it will not last very long. There is something much more necessary, something much, much deeper. It's called commitment. Biblical love is based on this foundation of commitment. That's what Paul writes in Ephesians 5.31. In fact, he actually quotes from Genesis chapter 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. There's this process of leaving and letting go, relinquishing and giving up that primary relationship that you have had all of your life, and now uniting with, bonding with, fusing with, becoming one with the person who is now going to be given first place in your life. And the words that he used there are words about covenant. They're about vows and promise. And see, our culture has kind of taken this approach to relationships and to marriage. It's more more like a consumer relationship. You know what a consumer relationship is? A consumer relationship is one that is based on how do I get my needs met at the cheapest possible cost? (laughs) What's in it for me? For instance, an example of a consumer relationship. If I can find the same pair of shoes that are $75 at Macy's for $30 at Walmart, I have no loyalty to Macy's whatsoever. If that's the pair of shoes I want, I'll spend $30 and save myself a bunch of money because it's all about meeting my needs at a cost that I'm willing to spend. Okay, That's a consumer relationship. And most people, a lot of people in our culture, approach their marriage and say, well, what's in it for me? As long as I'm happy, as long as it's working out for me, I'm here. But if it starts to go south or it starts to get a little more difficult, then I'm not so sure how committed I am to this. God's idea of relationship and marriage is covenant. Covenant says the relationship itself is far more important than my personal needs or, or, or happiness. That the relationship takes priority over everything. Another example, 
consumer relationship, okay? Your cell carrier provides all kinds of phones for you, all right? And you can buy. You can get an LG. You can get a Motorola. You can get a Samsung. You can get any other kind of phone because all you care about is having the phone in the service. And whatever is the cheapest one at the time, that's the one you go with. That's a consumer relationship. If you have an iPhone, that is a covenant relationship. <laughs> Hear me out. Because if you have an iPhone, your relationship with Apple is far more important than whatever it costs you. You will pay hundreds of dollars more for an iPhone because it's about the relationship and the covenant more than it is the service. Am I lying? That's the way it is with iPhone users. That's the way it is with Apple people. They are in a covenant relationship. Any other computer, any other tablet, you can get whatever you want. But I got to have my Apple product. The way that God always deals with his people is in covenant. Because covenant says, this is my vow, this is my promise, this is my commitment to you. And our relationship is more important than anything else. You find it all throughout scripture. God enters into covenants with his people. One example, Ezekiel chapter 16. God says, I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign, sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I have made a promise to you. I have given you my solemn vow, and nothing's going to break that. That's the way God deals with people, and that's the way he designed love to work. And if you don't put God first in your life, then you don't understand how it's supposed to work, because it works the way God works with us. See, the marriage vows, what you do, actually, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but in the marriage ceremony, there are two parts to that. There is a first part where the minister asks the question, will you love him, honor him, keep him in sickness and in health, forsaking all those, keeping only to him so long as you both shall live? He asks those questions because in the presence of God, you are making a promise before God. There is a vertical aspect to that. And then there is the exchange of the rings where you actually make that promise to one another that I give you this ring in token and pledge. And you, and you repeat pretty much the same words, but now you're making the promise to your spouse. See, that's what the marriage vows are. They're a covenant made between people. There's a horizontal side to it, but it's also a vertical part to it that I make this promise before God. The marriage vows are not a declaration of love in the present. Marriage vows are the promise and commitment to love into the future. And if you don't understand how God works, you don't truly get what it means to make that vow. When you put him first, you understand the power of that promise. Now, let me just say, by the way, because there's a lot of people these days who choose not to make the vow. They just choose to, to live together, to cohabitate. And one of the biggest reasons they give is, well, because then if it doesn't work out, we don't have the mess of a divorce. Let me tell you, folks, the pain and the mess of breaking up is no easier whether you had the promise or not. It's the promise that makes you stay when the things get tough. And let me say, if you are single and you are considering or have started the, the process of moving in together with somebody else, do not sell yourself short. <laughs> do not give up on something unless you get the promise. Don't give anything else. Because the promise is the thing that sustains you through the ups and downs of life, the ups and downs of marriage. And that's what you understand 
when you put God first in your life. Second thing is that you discover the secret of submission. And this, again, you don't understand this unless you understand how God works. This is the myth. This goes to the myth of, of marriages about self-fulfillment. You remember, you remember the movie Jerry Maguire, Tom Cruise's line, you complete me. And people have this idea that, that I'm going to get married, and this person's going to come. He's going to fill all of those gaps in my life, that, that she is just going to be that person, and, and, and life is all fulfilling and all happy and all good and all that. Uh, you know, we just, my wife and I just celebrated last month our 38th wedding anniversary. Yeah. 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 And I could stand here today and tell you it was all fulfilling and all happy and all wonderful. And I would be lying. Because <laughs> it isn't always that way. But the commitment that we made and the promise that we made has sustained us over 38 years. And we have found great happiness and a great deal of fulfillment. But it hasn't always been easy because here's the basic problem. About six months after you get married and you've been living together for about six months, all of a sudden you come to this realization, I have married the most selfish person in the world. <laughs> and about that time you make that discovery, they have made the exact same discovery. <laughs> and they begin to tell you, how they've decided that you are the most selfish person in the world. See, because that's, that's the root cause of unhappiness in marriage is our own selfishness. And we always think it's the other person. But the truth is, we will never get far in our relationship unless we come to grips with our own selfishness. Because we are the selfish ones. And it is one of the greatest hindrances to a fulfilling marriage. You got to come to grips with your own selfishness. I have known couples who, who um, they just couldn't come to grips with the fact that I've, I know a lot of couples, and what they resort to is kind of a bargaining relationship. You know, it's kind of like, well, he got a new set of golf clubs, so I get to go buy a new dress. Okay, and this is, I actually know, I, I one, I actually witnessed this. Okay, they had so divided up all of the who who gets how much money, you know, and how much allowance that that he had a letter that he needed to mail, but he didn't have any stamps. And she had some stamps in her purse that she was willing to sell him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's... Look, I have known marriages that more resembled the flea market for all the bargaining and finagling that goes on than a real relationship. The only real answer to your selfishness and my selfishness and your spouse's selfishness is this thing called submission. Mutual submission. It's what Paul writes about. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit, to your to your, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And then turns right around. He says, now husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, did you know, in the original text that we have, the word submit is not in that sentence for wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. The word is not in there. That verb is borrowed from the sentence before. It says, submit yourselves one to another. Wives to your husbands as to the Lord. And then husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, I grew up in church, and I heard that preached all kinds of times. And usually the emphasis was on women's submission. Women's submission. Wives, you got to submit to your husband. Wives, you got to submit to your husband. And it was almost taught like there was this chain of command. You know, there's God who's over the husband, who's over the wife, who's over the kids, 
who's over the dog, who's over the cat, you know, and on down the line it goes. And it was always taught as this kind of this, this chain of command. And that's not what that passage teaches. He says, no, the truth is the only way to get rid of your own selfishness is to put the needs of somebody else in front of it. It's a mutual submission. And actually, if you read through this, the, the act of submission and the responsibility of submission is greater on the husband than it is on the wife. He says, you are to love as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. A self-sacrificing love for the benefit of the other person. That's, that is something that, that does not well received in our culture. And, and it's, it's only a secret that you discover when you understand what Christ has done for us. When you put him first in your life, you understand, this is how God has worked with me. Tim Keller has written an excellent book. If you want a good book about marriage and the meaning of marriage, um, that's the title of the book, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. He writes these words. He says, The deep happiness that marriage can bring lies on the far side of sacrificial service and the power of the Spirit. That is, you only discover your own happiness after each of you has put the happiness of your spouse ahead of your own in a sustained way in response to what Jesus has done for you. Some will ask, if I put the happiness of my spouse ahead of my own needs, then what do I get out of it? The answer is happiness. That is what you get, but a happiness through serving instead of through using them. Seek to serve one another rather than to be happy, and you will find a new and deeper happiness. Many couples have already discovered this wonderful, unlooked-for reality. Why would this be true? It's because marriage is instituted of God. It was established by the God for whom self-giving love is an essential attribute, and therefore it reflects his nature, particularly as it is revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he goes on. This sounds oppressive, but that's just the way relationships work. Indeed, it has been argued that that is how everything works. You must be willing to give up something before it can truly become yours. Fulfillment is on the far side of a sustained, unselfish service, not the near side. It is one of the universal principles of life. And that only makes sense when you understand what God has done for you. There is a secret of mutual submission that actually brings a depth and happiness to marriages, to any relationship, really, that you only understand as you see it modeled in God. And the last thing, when you seek God first in your marriage, you recognize the indispensable need for grace <laughs> because we all need it. Here's the truth. You married a self-centered, deeply flawed, imperfect sinner, and she married a bigger one <laughs> because we are all in that same boat. We are all in desperate need of God's grace. And what God's grace does is he comes and he accepts us just the way that we are with all of our imperfections. And by the way, when you get married, that's when you discover all of those imperfections in the other person as well as in yourself. And God is the only one who takes us with all of those imperfections and say, I love you anyway. And not only that, not only do I love you and accept you and forgive you no matter what you've done or who you are, but I will also transform you and make you the best version of yourself. He says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, 
to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Your job in your marriage, should you choose to accept it, (laughs) is to make your spouse the best version of himself, herself, they could possibly be. Not by nagging or complaining or nitpicking, but by accepting and loving and affirming and speaking truthfully in love, but then staying with to help make that become a reality. One last word from Tim Keller. He puts it this way. Within this Christian vision for marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and get a glimpse of the person that God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you, and it excites me. I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey that you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence, and I will say, I always knew you could be like this. It is a glim- it, I got glimpses of it on earth, but now look at you. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.